We continue our study tonight of the epistle of certainties, 1 John, also called at times, as we have mentioned many times, the epistle of love. And I think tonight in the section we are examining, we will certainly understand why it is also called the epistle of love, because John writes about that subject in this great epistle, not only in this section, but in two other sections we have already studied. And he comes back to that emphasis on love as we look tonight, beginning with verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. One of the great treatises on brotherly love that is to be found anywhere in the Word of God. And in this great treatise from verses 7 through 21, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 14 tonight, we see the motives for loving God and for serving God. And there's hardly any way to overstate the importance of motive when it comes to service to God because God is deeply and vitally concerned, as His Word clearly tells us, about our motives for serving. In John fourteen fifteen, the Gospel according to John, John records where Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. The keeping of the commandments is to be preceded and motivated by a love that prompts us to keep those commandments. In this section of 1 John 4, which we will not get to tonight, but Lord willing, we will come to at verse 19 of this chapter we're studying tonight, John says we love him because he first loved us. And we will see tonight in these verses we are examining that the love that we are to have for God originates with God and motivates us to return or reciprocate with that love. John is going to tell us the origin of love and give us the motivation for loving and serving the God who first loved us at a time when we were anything but lovable. And so he uses in verse 7 of our study tonight that word that he uses three times in this chapter, that word, beloved, because John loved those to whom he wrote. He referred to them, as we have said and seen in this epistle, as his little children, a term of deep affection and tenderness that John expressed. And we see that same tenderness in the expression beloved in verse 1 and down in verse 7 where we begin tonight and again at verse 11, a verse we'll come to in just a few moments. But in verse 7 he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Here's a passage that makes it abundantly clear as to the absolute essentiality of love, as the acid test, as we've mentioned before, of our Christianity. Love is not a prerequisite for becoming a Christian, but it's a result of having become a Christian. And clearly the love is to be seen in our lives if indeed we have understood the love of God, have responded to that love in obedience to the gospel, then it becomes evident to all around us that love characterizes everyone who is begotten of God. One who is born of water and the Spirit, one who comes forth from the watery grave of baptism 
as one who is deeply moved by the love of God that made possible his or her salvation and is motivated continually and genuinely and supremely by that love. Beloved, let us love one another. The apostle of love writes, for love is of God. Love is of God. That's the origin of love. Love proceeds from God. The golden text of the Bible, as we often call it, reminds us of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. The quality of that love, the depth of that love, is encompassed in that little word but significant word, so, an adverb of manner, which reminds us of the depth of the love of God when we were, as we said before, anything but lovable. And love is evidence of the new birth. It's not a prerequisite for the new birth, but it is evidence that the new birth has occurred. When people see the love that we have for one another, for our brothers and sisters in Christ especially, and I think that's obviously what John is primarily addressing here, is the love that we're to have for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Obviously, it extends to love for all men because we are to love in the highest sense of that love, the agape love. We're to love even our enemies, as we have said before. And Jesus certainly dealt with that in the great Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? In Matthew 5, 43 beginning. In verse 43 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And listen to verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What is an indication that we are the children of the Father? Because we obtain the quality of the Father. And the quality that John emphasizes here that the Father possesses is love. Love is of God. Love originates with God. How can we call ourselves sons and daughters of God if that love is not clearly evident in our lives, one for another, especially for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Verse 45 continues, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And then he goes on, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And John here in the text we're examining here says that your Father in heaven is perfect in love. That love originates with him. Love is of God. And if we have been born of God or begotten of God more properly and born of water and the Spirit, when we come forth from that new birth, we come forth loving. We come forth loving one another because we are like our Father. And love is a characteristic of our Father. Therefore, if you want to be a son or daughter of the Father in heaven, John says, you have to be characterized by love. And if you're not, 
then you really don't know God and never really have known God. He who does not love, he continues in verse 8, does not know God. For God is love. And when he says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The idea here is he's never known him. You've really never known God. And that vitally important characteristic of God, which is love, if you do not manifest that same love in your own life. It's evidence that you really haven't come to know God. Because if you truly know God... Love is going to be the logical outgrowth of that relationship that you have with God. Now, there are those who really camp out on the phrase, God is love, don't they? For God is love. And there are those who really, as we say, camp out here because they say, yes, that's right. God is love. And therefore, God is not overly concerned with with uh, what I am doing necessarily in my service to Him, as long as I am loving, as long as I am sincere, then that's what is important, because God is love. Well, God is love. That's one of the attributes of God, obviously, and it's the one that John emphasizes here. But God is also justice, perfect in justice as He is perfect in love. He's perfect in every attribute, is he not? Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God, Paul writes in Romans 11 and verse 22. On those who fail, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. God is perfect in justice as well as perfect in love. But love is emphasized here because really one could say that everything God does, he does out of love, doesn't he? When God disciplines, he disciplines out of love. We talked about that this morning. What did Jesus say in Revelation 3.19? As many as I love, I reprove or rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. When God disciplines, he disciplines out of love. Everything God does, he does out of love. But many times... People latch on to that phrase, God is love, and they say, yes, God is love, therefore he's not concerned about law. God is love, therefore he's not concerned about, about the keeping of his commandments. But indeed he is. In 1 John 4 and verse 9 then, what we have in this great verse is a description of his love, the design of his love, and the depth of his love. Listen to it. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here's a description of his love. He describes his love, God's love, and he tells us the design of his love. He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And what about the depth of His love? In that expression, His only begotten Son, we see the depth of the love of God in sending His only begotten Son to this world to live and to die and to shed His blood for the sins of mankind. 
In other words, the gift was the most precious gift he could have possibly given. That's the depth of the love that prompted the God of heaven to send his only begotten son. He was willing to do that. He loved to that extent. Jesus loved to the extent that he was willing to come, emptied himself of equality with God and came to this earth and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, even the death of the cross. And so here's a beautiful description of the love of God and the design or the purpose of that love and the depth of that love. It was so deep, his love was, that he was willing to sacrifice the darling of his bosom that we might have the hope of eternal life. And that's what John expands upon in verse 10. In this is love. Now if you want to see love, John is saying here, here it is. It's in this. What is it, John? Not that we loved God, because we didn't. We didn't. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, Paul writes. In this is love, not that we loved God. There was nothing that we did in our love for God that caused God to determine they love me so much I must send my only begotten Son to die for them because I have seen how much they love me. Obviously, we know that was not the case. And John says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the second time here in verse 10 that that word propitiation is used. It's only used twice by John in 1 John chapter 2 at verse Two, that he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And now here in 1 John 4 and verse 10. And as we said when we studied 1 John 2, the word propitiation indicates means appeasement. The appeasement. To satisfy God's justice so that God could extend his mercy in the forgiveness of our sins. He loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice, the atonement, at one month, atonement, at one month, to make at one God and sinful man. Sinful man having departed from God, being brought back or reconciled to God by Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ, through the loving sacrifice that he was willing to make for us. And so then John says, Beloved, that tender word again, if God so loved us, and the if does not express doubt, but it carries the idea of since. In other words, since God so loved us, what's our obligation? We also ought to love one another. Because we have been begotten of God as brothers and sisters in Christ, then we manifest, make known the evidence of our salvation by the love that is seen in us for one another. Remember in John 13, 34 and 35, that new commandment to which John alludes earlier in our study of this first epistle. 
The new commandment that Jesus said, I give to you, that you love one another. Not love is a new commandment, but here's the newness of the commandment. Remember, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's the newness of the commandment. The extent and the degree of that love that we're to have for one another. That's the manifestation that we are indeed begotten of God that we give evidence of our conversion to God and Christ as a result of the love that others can see in us. If God so loved us, then we ought to love those who have loved God and responded to God through obedience to the gospel and are our brothers and sisters. Then we ought to show that love for them and for all men, as we said earlier, for that matter. Now, John then says, No one has seen God at any time. And the word God here is without the definite article, and so the indication is no one has has seen the Godhead. That is, the divine nature is under consideration. Each personality in the Godhead is under consideration here. No one has seen the Godhead, the divine nature. But what? If we love one another, God abides in in us and his love has been perfected in us people need to see God in us people need to see Christ in us people need to see the Godhead in other words in us how by our love that gives evidence that God is abiding in us and we've talked about this expression of God abiding in us Christ abiding in us he'll mention here in just a few moments as we study it the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, but how has that Spirit been given to us? How does that Spirit abide in us? How does Christ abide in us? How does God the Father abide in us? We've talked about it before. As this Word abides in us, they abide in us in that sense. Now, in this passage, too, there is something to which we alluded earlier that we'll come back to, and that is... The idea of love and God is love and therefore commandment keeping is not so important as long as we are loving. Listen to what John writes again here. If we love one another, God abides in us and listen, his love has been perfected in us. Keep that phrase has been perfected in us in mind and go back to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5 and listen to what John writes there. In verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Notice that. Listen to it again. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Look at the verse we're looking at in verse 12 of chapter 4. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Is there a connection between love being perfected in us and the keeping of God's commandments? Yes, 1 John 2, 5 makes it abundantly clear. The love of God is perfected in him. In whom? In the the one who is keeping his word. And so love and law keeping are mutually inclusive. You don't separate the two. And so John is not writing to us here that love is all there is. As long as we have that 
that deep affection one for another. It doesn't really matter what we're doing. It doesn't really matter about uh, law or commandment. No, Jesus, remember, said in John 14, 15, as we alluded to earlier, if you love me, keep my commandments. And John says his love has been perfected in us if we love one another, but love is not separated from keeping his word because in 1 John 2, 5, he says, the one who keeps his word is the one in whom the love of God is perfected. In other words, you can't perfect the love of God in your life without keeping his word. And so the two are inseparable. They are inseparable. And then in verse 13, he writes, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. But how has he given us of his spirit? Through the word. And it's interesting that while there are so many who contend for a direct, miraculous operation of the spirit, that such is not taught for us today. The miraculous gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They served their purpose, as we have often said. We're done away when that which is complete or perfect or whole came. That is the written Word of God. And by that all-sufficient, complete Word of God, we have everything that the Spirit has to give us, and that includes love and the motivation for love and the information that produces that motivation for love. Because it's interesting that in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is given by Paul. And do you remember what the first fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5.22? Love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it goes on, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. All of those fruits of the Spirit, the first of which is love, all can be obtained by feeding upon what? The all-sufficient Word of God. And how is it that God will abide in us through this Word? And how do we abide in Him by keeping this Word? How does Christ abide in us by this Word? And how do we abide in Christ, as He Himself said more than once, by abiding in His Word, He said? and keeping his word. How does the Holy Spirit then abide in us? By this word. How does the Holy Spirit produce the fruit of love, the love that John is emphasizing so strongly in this epistle? He does it through this all-sufficient, all-powerful, complete revelation from God to man. That's how we know love. How do you know of the love that sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for you through this book? How do you know how to respond to that love through this book? What else do you need? Absolutely nothing. And then John writes, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Here John gets back to the theme with which he began his epistle. And that is, we are eyewitnesses. He and the other apostles. We have seen. We can testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Because you remember what he wrote in the early verses of this epistle in chapter 1? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the Word, capital W, the Word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard. We declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 4 of chapter 1, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. How can you have fullness of joy tonight in Christ? How can you know how to be in Christ? By that which John says we've seen and heard and handled of the capital W, the living word of life, and we have testified of that, and that testimony is right here. And if you'll accept that testimony, if you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess Him to be the Christ, and be buried with Him in baptism, then you can rise from that watery grave motivated by love and giving evidence to the world that you have been begotten of God and born of water and the Spirit because of the love that others can see in you. A love that causes you to keep His Word and a love that causes you to love your brothers and sisters in a way that the world can be impressed with and hopefully drawn by to become as loving as you are through obedience to the loving God of heaven who sent his only begotten son to make possible the greatest joy and the greatest love that could ever be manifested. And that's the love that we share in Christ Jesus. If you need to come home to that first love tonight as one who's wandered, you need to repent, to confess that you have indeed sinned in a way to bring reproach upon the blood-bought body of Christ, the church. We plead with you to come home and do that, that we can pray with you and for you to a God who so loved you and still so loves you that he desires your return. As we stand to sing, will you come?